0: Good morning to you all. My name is BT, one of the pastors here. It's good to have children around. Even just walking in the room and seeing so many little, smiling, bubbly, happy faces. It's good to have children around. Now, just a couple years ago, uh, my wife and I had to tell something to my children. And it was difficult news, it was sad news, it was hard news. It was important for them to know, though... Some close friends of ours, of children, my children's age, the, the husband and the wife were separating and was heading towards a divorce. So we were having a family dinner and we decided that we needed to tell them. And so we told it to them and we explained what was happening. And one of my younger daughters immediately looked at us and she said, does this mean that the children won't live with their daddy anymore? And immediately she gets straight to the heart of the matter and a weight descended upon the room. A a heaviness was there. My wife with glossed over eyes said to her, yes, yes, dear, that's what that means. Waiting for a follow-up question and one came and she said, okay, can I have some more bread? (laughs) And immediately... The weight was lifted, and the heaviness was sucked out of the room. Sometimes it's good to have children around. I remember a testimony from my brother, uh, Desmond Cornelius. He was with his family around their round table, and he was teaching to them from the scriptures, talking to them about the importance of, of helping those in need. And when someone asks that we're ready to respond, and his son said, Ooh. Daddy, we were, we were just downtown. And the man came up to you and asked for money. And you kind of brushed him to the side and came home. And that's the time as the teacher when you say, well, we'll do questions later. <laughs> that's what, how I would have handled it. But Desmond was convicted. And he said, you know what, son? You're right. And Desmond went and he found that man. And he bought him a meal. And he told him about Jesus. And he invited him to church. It's good to have children around. Speaking of children, I, I want to have a word with the children who are in the room this morning. Children, please listen. This sermon is primarily going to be given to the adults in the room. I'm speaking primarily to them. Now, you will one day be an adult also, as long as you behave during this sermon, So everything I'm saying is necessary for you to know as well. But before I say anything else to the older people in the room sitting around you, I want you to hear this, children. Hear this this morning. Jesus loves you. He has time for you. He's interested in you. He wants you near. He wants you in the room. Not despite of all of your childishness, Because of your childishness, he comes to you and he calls you as a child to him. Now, there will be times in life when you will feel like no one is interested, like no one's listening, like no one likes you or loves you. And children, I want you to know that that feeling is a liar. And I want to tell you something this morning that is more true than anything that you will ever hear for the rest of your lives. Jesus listens to you. He's interested in you. He likes you. He loves you. He came for you. Though you have not seen him, he was here. He died for you. Though you were not at the funeral, he gave up his life. And he's coming back to see you face to face. And now he calls you to come. Come and be loved by him. Come and be forgiven. Children, let me tell you how good Jesus is. Have you ever done something wrong? Of course you have. I've seen it after church in this very room. Some of you running up on stage, getting dangerously close to the drums. Some of you crawling under the seat, drinking the Lord's Supper juice. But you know, when you disobey mommy and daddy, or you say something you shouldn't have, and you upset someone that you love, you see it on their face, and you feel it like a weight in your gut. It's heavy. Your heart races, or your skin gets hot. It's hard to describe, but you know what I'm talking about. It's awful. But then something happens. Something breaks it, something lifts it, something changes everything. A a kind word is spoken, an apology is given and accepted, A, a smile and a laugh and an embrace and then it's gone. That weight is gone. It's the single greatest feeling in the world when that burden between two people just melts away. Kids, I want to teach you a word this morning that is used to describe that feeling, and it's called reconciliation. Now, I need a child in this room to look at an adult near you and say, reconciliation. Now, you don't need to remember the word, but I know that you know that feeling. Someone was mad at you, but now it's gone. There was a deep feeling of sadness or shame, but it's gone. Children, this is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus is. He's a reconciler. With him, the burden of all that you have done, said, and thought wrong, it's gone. That tension, that guilt, that shame, it's gone. The burden of your sin, it rolls away. Jesus took it. Again and again, we bring it to him, and he's got a cross, it's even bigger than this one. It's better than this one, it doesn't light up, but it's better than this one. And he takes all of that, all of that weight, all of that burden, all of that shame and guilt and heaviness, and he puts it on the cross over and over again. Children, Jesus loves you. Love him. So simple. Love him because he loved you. Now, children, I have some boxes of candy canes over here down front. After the service, you're all welcome to come and get one from me. I don't want you to think of this as a bribe. It is. <laughs> I want you to simply think this of this as a gift from your favorite pastor, <laughs> Pastor Beatsy. I often show love through gifts, and to children, it's normally gifts that are sweet. It's why in my family budget, the two largest line items are the bakery and the dentist. That's a joke. We don't take our children to the dentist. It's actually my wife's joke. I promise to give her credit for that. Matthew 19, verse 13 is our text this morning where it starts. And it says, Then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Jesus, walking the earth, fully human, He was something special. He was something to see. He was known and the things he was saying and doing elicited a response. Those who had government authority, they saw that he was a threat to their power and so they sought him to seize him, to get rid of him. Those with religious knowledge and wisdom, they saw their followers turn to follow him so they wanted to trip him up and embarrass him in front of the crowds. And those, and there were many, who were desperate and sick, diseased, possessed, hungry, paralyzed, deaf, mute. They saw that he was their hope and help, and so they clamored towards him. He had recently said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. And the people were coming, coming in droves, bringing along with them their greatest needs, and their most precious cargo. The text says, then children were brought to him. Children, in a culture like many other cultures that keeps children away from things that are serious and important. And think of his importance. Think of the importance of this man, a lowly, meek man from Nazareth who strikes fear into the hearts of kings a carpenter, so skilled that he can whittle away the greatest religious and philosophical ideas of the day. This is a grown man, and he's going about doing grown people's business. This is not the time for children. The text says that the disciples rebuked the people. The people who were bringing the children to Jesus, the disciples rebuked them. He has a nation to ignite. He has temple walls to tear down. He has a kingdom to begin. He's preparing to do battle with the greatest force of evil that has ever existed face to face. He soon will be swallowed up by death. He's swamped. This is not the time for children. Amen? That's good. Don't say amen here. (laughs) Listen, just because the preacher says amen... Doesn't mean you should say it. He might be wrong. Or he might be being sarcastic. With me, it could be either one. (laughs) Where's the nursery? Where are the nurses? Where are these kids' mothers? Why are these children here? Can you imagine the utter contempt that was shown to these children and their mothers and caretakers by the disciples who rebuke them? publicly for what they're doing? And try to understand. Listen, the Jewish people have waited for this man to be sent by God for thousands and thousands of years. Think back to the people of God, small and homeless. They finally found a home in Egypt where they were made slaves for 400 years. And they cried out to God in anguish, and he heard them, and he delivered them out out into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 more years, eventually given a home but constant battle and war. Before long, they were taken captive, and they were moved around. They were subjugated. They were occupied, a people defined by their history of being oppressed. And finally, finally, after this long history of darkness, after the voices of the prophets slowly faded away into silence, comes this inextinguishable, unfading beacon of light. Comes this sound like a trumpet of salvation. Something is happening through this man. God has heard their cry, and he has given them the Messiah. And he's been alive for 30 years, but they've just now found him. And all he keeps talking about is his upcoming death. How much time do they have with him? How many more miracles will they get to see accomplished? When will he go ahead and overthrow their oppressors and institute his kingdom? There doesn't seem to be enough time. And you're bringing him children? Get out of the way, the disciples say. The disciples viewed the children as an annoying distraction Might some of you in this room have a similar opinion to children? If so, Jesus has some thoughts for you this morning. And now if we only had Matthew's account of this story, then perhaps it would look like I'm overdoing it a bit when it comes to the disciples' response. Over-egging the pudding, some would say. But Mark, he tells the same story. And unlike Matthew, who just tells us what Jesus says, Mark tells us what Jesus feels in this moment when he hears the contempt in the disciples tone of voice over the presence of the children Mark 10:14 listen to what Mark says in this account but when Jesus saw it he was indignant indignant a man characterized by patience by extending grace who was gentle and lowly in spirit in this moment Over this matter, he was indignant. To be indignant, to have anger produced by something unjust or unworthy. See, there's a value to the presence of children that was being tossed aside by the disciples. And Jesus was having none of it. Now, what Jesus is about to say and what he's about to do supports this primary idea that I want to talk about this morning. My main idea that I want you to go home remembering. It's an idea that I believe is primary to this passage of Scripture. An idea that I think couldn't be any more clearly set up by his indignation over the disciples' actions to keep the children away. It is this idea. It is good to have children around Teenagers and college students, if there's any of you left. It is good to have children around. Those who are single, those who are struggling to have children, to intentionally be around them. It is good for you to have children around. Young married couples who are waiting for God knows what. It is good to have children around. Couples with lots of kids who feel like you always need a break. Remember, it is good to have children around. Empty nesters, it is good to have children around in your life. Seniors, I don't have to tell the seniors this. The seniors are often the ones telling us this truth. They've lived life long enough to know it is good to have children around. Amen. Yeah. And why is it good? Jesus said to them, he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Right? He wants them there. Now, if this was all the passage said, then it might be a stretch to make this the main point that it's good to have children around. The more obvious point is that children should be brought to Jesus. And amen. Yeah, this is an appropriate time to say amen. Amen. Absolutely. And that is a fundamental part of all that is being said here. The children need to be brought to to Jesus. And this passage does teach that. It does not teach less than that. Children should be brought to Jesus. And he's upset when we hinder that. But his next words and his next actions, I believe, Jesus is giving us two supporting reasons why it is good that we be around children and that children be around us. so we're going to look at these two reasons this morning. Reason number one, it is good for children to be around for the sake of your soul. Adults, it is good for children to be around for the sake of your soul. For you as disciples of Jesus, as people who desire to be in the kingdom of God, it is good because there is much you can learn from the presence of children that will help you follow Jesus. In fact, there are things that must characterize you that characterizes them if you are going to be in the kingdom. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 14. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. To such belongs the kingdom There is something about the makeup, the characteristics, the attributes of a child that Jesus wants us to see and in some way to become. There are things about a child that a growing believer will grow into. You already said there are things about a child that a growing believer will grow into. Now, the name of the series that we've been doing through Matthew is called Authentically Christian. And Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us how to follow him. What we should believe, and how we should think, and how we should act as people of his kingdom. And this is continuing here. Jesus is teaching the disciples how to be a citizen in his kingdom. And in order to do that, in order to teach them how to become citizen kingdom... Uh, kingdom citizens, he draws their attention to a child. Much like he did in chapter 18 when he set a child in the midst of them. And he said, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Much like that, he is again calling attention to children and saying, look, something about them should define you. Jesus is clear. Children are a helpful metaphor for our own discipleship. How do children contain something that someone who is more mature and more experienced and more wise need? I mean, when we grow up, aren't there childish things that we need to leave behind? Doesn't the good book tell us that? Yes, there are absolutely things we need to leave behind, but unfortunately, we leave behind too much. There's so much of humanity, and I believe even parts of the image of God that starts out so bright in us, inside those giant heads, shining out of those big bright eyes, things like wonder and imagination, joy and excitement, humility, trust, independence. And quickly this morning, I want to point out three characteristics that I think are obvious characteristics of children and clear markers of those who belong in the kingdom of heaven. Again, these are things normally found in children in heavy doses and the Bible says should be found in us. So number one, three things, three characters. Number one, childlike humility. Now, no doubt Jesus had In mind, humility, as he pointed to the children as a metaphor for what type of people his disciples must be. In chapter 18, which I mentioned before, Jesus placed the child in the midst of them as they were bickering over who would be more prominent in the kingdom. And he said, Matthew chapter 18, he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Childlike humility should define those who are seeking after the kingdom. A child is humble because he has to be. He is little, too small for pride. He is needy, unable to even fill his own wants. He is incapable of doing things on his own, and he knows it. And so a child gladly accepts his position as low because he takes comfort in being cared for and loved and helped. A child almost glories in his dependency on mommy or daddy, cherishing the fact that they have someone who loves them enough to give them all that they need. See, us, we're too big, and we're too proud We're too able, we're too strong, and too independent. But there is no place for this misplaced type of pride in the kingdom of God. We must have childlike humility. Number two, childlike wonder. There is a scene in the book of Job where Job is told, stop and consider The wondrous works of God. To consider how God is seen as great in power by the wondrous works of his creation. Our God is a God of marvelous wonders. Citizens of his kingdom stand amazed in the presence of his works. And so do children. If children do anything, they stand amazed. They look in wonder. They stare with a seriousness that cannot be matched by an adult. They behold and are overcome. They are frozen with awe. Their large and lustrous eyes seem to hold all the stars in their astonishment. All of creation to a child is new and fresh. Every day, something they never even imagined could exist appears as if every morning, some new creation of God's floats down from the sky, especially for them. A few weeks ago, outside the church building, little Calvin Pruitt stood staring and pointing up at the sky as a small leaf swirled and twirled and drifted down from a tree to the earth. And he said, whoa. (laughs) A giant in the sky made of wood that drops down delightful, crunchy gifts, ones that can be gathered up and jumped into. Pure wonder and delight in something made by someone bigger and greater than him. He sees what God has made and he watches in astonished wonder. And we watch him as he is amazed by him. We watch him as he is amazed by him. And we must think it is good to have children around. Calvin will lose that. But by God's grace through faith in Christ, he'll enter into God's kingdom and he'll get it back again. Number three, childlike joy. Childlike joy. The scripture says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's one of the most difficult commands to follow in all of this life to be commanded to rejoice. If someone says, go, we can go. If someone says, stop, we can stop. If they say, to give them our tunic, we can give them our cloak as well. But if someone says, rejoice, well, that's something different altogether. You can pull a rabbit out of a hat, but joy can be harder to come by. Unless you're a child. Now, a child can be sad, certainly, and some are sadder than others. But in children, in general, there is a fountain of happiness. Now, eventually, sin in the world will find ways to drain away its resources. But, oh, the smiles and laughter and happiness and play that are so distinctive in children especially if they see a rabbit come out of a hat. In Proverbs 8, 30 and 31, Jesus personified as wisdom speaks of his delight in joy and creation. It says, I was filled with fresh delight day after day, always laughing in his presence, playing in every corner of his world and delighting in humanity. Listen to Wisdom. Fresh delight, laughter, and playing in every corner of this world. A child can take joy in a simple thing. And he can rejoice in it over and over and over again. Do it again, daddy, is a refrain that I cannot help but associate with my children. They do not tire of finding joy in things. In the same things much like our God who has said with pleasure to the sun every morning, do it again. In our maturity, we've had enough after a few times. As G.K. Chesterton said, we have sinned and grown old. Childlike humility, childlike wonder, childlike joy. They have it, our souls need it, But thank God, if we have the Spirit of God, it's infectious. It is good for children to be around for the sake of our souls. Reason number two, it is good for children to be around for the sake of their souls. Children are not simply cute little metaphors to help us know how to be better disciples. they are also cute little images of God who need help and care and prayer and the gospel so that they too may become disciples of Christ. The children were brought to Jesus so they might be prayed for and ministered to. And in verse 15, it says, and he laid his hands on them and went away. Mark 10, again, gives a little more information. And in verse 16, it says, And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them. Jesus wanted them near so that he could do them spiritual good. As adult followers of Christ, growing in grace and knowledge of God, maturing in the faith, we have an important role to play in the life of children. Whether they are our children, biologically, or through adoption, or through fostering, or as part of our faith family, we all have a role to play. A role that Jesus modeled for us in this story. He stopped, and he took them in his arms, and he ministered to them. He wanted them around so he could minister to them. Is there anything sweeter than a faith family community where we love And care for each other's children. It is good for children to be around for their sake. None of this should surprise us. We need each other. This is why a multi-generational church and community is so important. This is why children shouldn't just spend all day with children their age or adults always feeling the need to get away to have adult conversations which i found is a euphemism for boring conversations. (laughs) This is why children need to be in and around our services, in and around our community groups, in and around and a part of our friend circles. This is why open, generous hospitality in our homes is such a valuable use of our time, where those of all life stages can share a meal in an evening together. Where children and students and singles and seniors and families can all be around each other. Some of discipleship is taught, but so much of it is caught. Children, they need to see adults worship the great God and pray together and counsel one another and love each other. Children, they need to see adults serve with servant hearts who seek God when times are difficult, who give thanks in all circumstances. In life and in ministry, in events and in big occasions, the question always comes up, what will we do with the children? Bring them. Why is that not our default answer? It is good for them to be around and to let them lift their eyes up from the screens and watch and see as we follow after Christ. Deuteronomy 6 gives a great blueprint for how we should teach children through this ongoing relational love of the Lord in the everyday movements of life. Let me read this. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Sit and walk, lie down and rise. So obvious that it's written on your body, on your house, on your property. All of life. In the home, certainly, but also in the church. In Titus, Paul is talking to Titus about the church. And he gives this understanding of the older and more experienced and equipped people in the church should be teaching the younger and more immature in the church. Jesus wanted the children brought to him. And in this faith family, we covenant together to bring these children to Jesus. To help lead children to Jesus, not just your own. This isn't a message just for parents. How can we help bring each other's children to Jesus? Invite families with children to your house. If you don't cook, get pizza. If you're a great cook, invite my family. (laughs) Attend plays, concerts, sporting events, and school speeches of children in this faith family you will develop a relationship, be able to do them spiritual good. You wouldn't believe the relational weight you can develop with a child if you just give them some of your time and some of your attention. If you just say, come to me, you can serve in the nursery, the little one's ministry, Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings when we gather at the church. Last Sunday, there was a very heavy, weighty topic preached on in this very room. I was upstairs joking around with the kids the whole time (laughs) and telling them about Jesus. It was fantastic. Serve with King's Cross Kids. That's the elementary school age ministry. They need help on Sunday nights when we gather here at the church. Those kids need you in their lives. You need them in your life. The greatest need for children is Jesus. Although they possess some wonderful, beautiful characteristics of the image of God, they also possess the ugly stain of sin. And their only hope is the one who said, let them come to me. They need to be around us so that we can lead them to Jesus. It's good for children to be around for the sake of their souls. Now we would be remiss to talk about Jesus' love and acceptance for children this time of year without remembering this, Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. He who is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, in love he humbled himself and he entered this kingdom by becoming a child. And he tells us that we can go and join him in his kingdom. But we first too must become like a child. Let's pray.